Amen. So this sermon in a crowd like this, I hope it um, equips you uh, to to talk about Jesus on Christmas, kind of give you um, a way to make Christmas about unsaved souls. Um, it's, of course, evangelistic in nature. Um, but uh, we know we celebrate the birth of Christ, of course, on Christmas. Um, and as you gather with family and friends and and uh, and celebrate, I hope you can use some of the content from this sermon uh, to encourage yourself. One, I hope it encourages you, of course. Uh, but two, I hope it equips you to be more evangelistic in the nature of Christmas, uh, just with the content of it. So anyway, with that said... Uh, Luke chapter 2, this morning, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 17, will be the content of the uh, scripture tonight. I'm going to do my little bit after the scripture, so if you get there, Luke chapter 2, verses 6 through 17, of course, one of the most uh, commonly used Christmas scriptures in the Bible Starting in verse 6, says, And while they were there, they came, it came, uh, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds uh, out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For un unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger. And suddenly there was uh, with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on, and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. When the angels went away uh, from them, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Verse 16, And when they went with haste, they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. So, of course, Christmas being tomorrow, today Christmas Eve, the when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, celebrated around the world by Christians and even non-Christians, around the world every single year with consistency. Many people's favorite holiday is Christmas, and of course, for good reason. We celebrate the birth of Jesus. We spend time with family and friends. We're giving and receiving gifts. There's delicious treats that we eat far too many of, beautiful decorations everywhere you go, and the list could go on. There is certainly a lot to be merry about. Christmas, although it mark, doesn't mark Jesus' actual birthday, is the day that we celebrate his birth. 
But the truth about Jesus and his miracle birth to a virgin in a manger is that Christmas, his birth in the manger, is not his origin story. This was not a new character emerging onto the scene in the Bible as we see things unfold. No, Jesus is actually the main character of the Bible from beginning to the end. You see, Jesus didn't just come onto the scene in the New Testament over halfway through the Bible. Jesus was there the whole time, since the beginning and even before. And just as Jesus always was there, leading up to the gospel accounts in the New Testament, he has been there ever since and is with us here in this very moment. The birth of Jesus doesn't mark the beginning of his life, but rather it marks the beginning of our life through Christ. So this morning I want to preach a sermon I've entitled, Christmas, the birth of our life through Christ. Let's pray. Father God, help us this morning, God, by your Spirit. Lord, minister this day, God, to each and every one of us, God, in spirit and clarity, God, and understanding, God, that you would encourage us, God, and equip us, God, this season. In Jesus' name, amen. So we see, of course, the beginning of the story of Jesus, at least by that namesake. The name Jesus itself does not appear in the Bible until the New Testament. And you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are called the Gospels. And these are the accounts of the life of Jesus Christ on earth, the coming of Christ to earth. You read uh, the book of Mark, and it starts the story with the baptism of Jesus Christ. And shortly after, he starts his ministry, which took place long after his birth. Jesus actually started his ministry at the age of 30, according to most scholars. The book of Luke starts with the birth of Jesus Christ himself at taking place in the manger, as we just read. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which goes even farther back, leading all the way from Abraham, all the way to King David, and then all the way to Christ himself. Old Testament prophecy of Jesus Christ stated that Jesus would be born within the lineage of both Abraham and David. So the fact that Matthew chapter 1 starts with this lineage isn't just like, oh wow, some family history, but rather it is the proof of prophecy taking place. It's Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17, and it's quite a lot to read, and I won't read it all, but I'll share a couple with you. Verse 1 says, The book of genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. So he's making the case, the point, that Jesus does in fact ascend all the way from Abraham and David himself. And it says in verse 2, Abraham, the father of Isaac, so on and so forth, to Judah, Ram, Solomon, Jesse, sorry, Solomon, and then Jesse, and then Solomon, Asaph, uh, Uzziah, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Amos, Josiah, and so on and so forth, with very many names, 
for 17 verses. I'm not going to bore you guys with it. If you want to look it up, you can read it yourself because it would be a whole lot of begot so-and-so in such-and-such a city. And if you can tell, my throat's not going to hold up to that. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, you can visit it yourself. But what is significant about this documentation is this. One, it shows the proof that Jesus came from where the Bible said he would come from. That's one thing, of course, that alone is pretty significant. The Jews believe that Jesus had to, of course, come from the lineage of Abraham. If you understand anything about the Old Testament, that was without a doubt. All Jews come from the lineage of Abraham. But secondly, that he would come from the lineage of King David himself. Now, that's a lot more specific. But what is significant now is that Jesus, who can be proven to come from the lineage of David, of course came, he lived, he, he lived a life on earth, he w- was crucified, he resurrected and ascended back into heaven. Now here's where it gets interesting. And here's where you guys can equip yourself with some knowledge here. It is in the year A.D. 70, which, is se- which stands for 70 years In the day of our Lord, A.D., it's a Latin phrase that means in the day of our Lord. Tell that to some atheists to make their skin crawl. And what took place in the year 70 A.D. is that the Romans uh, basically took over Jerusalem. They they conquered Jerusalem. uh, And in the process, they destroyed all genealogical records of the Jewish people. So, in other words, what this means is that since uh, the year 70 A.D., no Jewish person can with proof claim to be from the genealogy of David. So what that means is that this religion of the Jewish culture who is still actually waiting for the Messiah, if a man comes and emerges to claim to be the Messiah, there can be no physical proof that they are from the line of David. Now this is significant because Jesus himself was from one of the last generations that could have ever proved without a doubt that they are from the lineage of David. It's it's interesting to think that God did this to further cement the reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came. He was able to legitimately prove that he's from the lineage of David. He died. He resurrected. He went back into heaven. And then God came down and said, okay, now I'm going to wipe the record clean so that nobody else can claim with any proof, any reality of Messiah. So Matthew proves this fulfillment of prophecy, showing this lineage. The gospel account of John, which was the fourth one that I didn't talk about yet, starts even farther back, okay? So Mark starts with the baptism of Jesus. Luke starts with the birth of Jesus. Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus. And then the gospel of John goes even farther back to show where Jesus began in the Bible In fact, he starts with the beginning of earth itself. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made that was made. 
So the Gospel of John makes the statement <clears throat> that Jesus was there in the beginning of creation. <coughs> Excuse me. That Jesus did not just come on the scene in the New Testament. That Jesus was there in the very beginning. When John says the word, he's using a word, a Greek word that is lagos. And he's associating it to God himself. That in the beginning, Christ was there. That in the beginning, Christ was God. That in the beginning, Christ created all things. The creation story is where Christ first shows up. God himself first shows up. At least in the Bible, we know he is eternal. And Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, actually backs this up when you begin to understand the structure of the language it was written in. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the Bible, says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now God, this word God in the Hebrew language is Elohim. Most of us have heard that before. And the definition of it means, listen, Supreme gods, a plural of Eloah. So in other words, this is where a lot of people who don't understand our faith go, oh, so you're, 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 um, you, you worship many gods, like, like, the, Indian pe like the Indian people in, in India, like, like some of these other religions. You worship many gods. You, you, you have several. No, it's Elohim, which means supreme gods, but every time the Bible references Elohim, it uses singular verbiage. So this would you you would read this and you would think that this person just doesn't know how to write. Like it's like a kid writing a, an essay in the second grade and they just don't know how to structure their sentences properly. So it's a plural word, at least rooted in a plural world, word, but it uses singular verbiage. So it's as if they said, uh, the power of the mighty, no, 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 that's not right. I had it earlier and I lost it. It'll come back later. But you catch, you catch my drift here. Lord, help me. It's as if they're speaking of multiple, but rather referencing the actions of one. But this shows us that God is more than one nature. This is very clearly implying the presence of not God the Father himself. We reference the Trinity. We think of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. This clearly implies the presence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus himself in this moment. Not that they were characters of the lore that were added later on, right? That, that as the story was writing, the, the author was like, okay, now I'm going to add in this guy. And it turns out all along he was the same and, and, you know, it's like not like this plot twist like M. Night Shyamalan got involved or anything like that. No, it was God's story from the get-go. From the very, very first verse of the Bible, God made it clear that God the Father, this character who we understand, at least off the bat, was 
more complex than that. His natures were multiple. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit were not characters that were added on later, but rather they are God. They are natures of God. They are Elohim, one God. Of course, you can use the old, uh, the classic illustration to illustrate the Trinity. You can look at water, right? You freeze it and it's ice. You melt it and it's water. You heat it up and it's vapor. Same chemical compound, but three different substances. And of course, that still pales to compare to the power of God in the Trinitarian form, but it at least helps our simple minds grasp it a little bit. And so here we are, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we find the first mention of Jesus Christ. Of course, not by name, but by nature. In the first sentence of the Bible. And of course, we know that even Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, was not the origin of Christ either, but rather we serve an eternal God. He was always there. And His arrival in the New Testament is described very well, I think, in John chapter 1, verse 14, when he writes, And the Word, who is Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God Himself, Elohim, the creator of the universe, became flesh. He reduced himself to the form of man, starting as a baby, for the sake of mankind. For the sake of mankind, but why? Why did he do that? You see, the truth about why he had to do that can be found in the history of mankind. And the reality is that we're sinful. Again, referring to the family tree that, that you can find in Matthew chapter 1, you find this lineage from Abraham all the way to Jesus. And what you find is that every single man in that lineage, with the exception of Jesus himself, was a sinful man. Abraham and David, of course, within that lineage are considered to be two heroes of the Bible. But if you read their story, you can see clearly that they both still had sin in their life that they had to deal with, that God had to punish them for, and all of these things throughout their story, and that they had consequences of, and that they dealt with. But if you read the story of this lineage throughout the Old Testament, what you will also find is that many people in that lineage were remembered as wicked and unrighteous kings of Israel. They had their moments of horror that they committed, if not a lifetime of it. You see, Jesus was not born into this lineage because it was the most righteous of Israel. He wasn't born into this lineage because it was so great and so powerful. But I say, if anything, he was born into that specific lineage to show the opposite. There's actually a prostitute listed in his lineage. 
There's actually an adulterous woman listed in the lineage of Christ. Why did he do this? Because I believe he wanted to show the power of his redemption. That he could say, even from these lives that people in this world, even to this day, would spit upon and look down upon. He said, even through these lives, I can redeem it. That even this family line, Jesus would lower himself to be associated with so that he could redeem it. That even to this day, no matter what we've been through, no matter what we've seen, that Jesus could redeem us and those around us. You see, we may not be, I hope, a prostitute, an adulterous woman, a wicked king idolizing false idols, lusting after power and riches. But we are sinful and we needed Christ. We need Christ just as much as they do. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 puts it so plain and simple. Easy for everyone to understand. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is in heaven, and if we fall short, we ain't making it there. Short is not enough. All, we don't have to do a word study on this, guys. All in the Greek means all. That's every single human that's ever walked the face of the earth with the exception of Christ himself have fallen short and they need help. Adam and Eve to Abraham to David leading all the way up to Christ himself and every person who's come after him. This verse is true about them and it's true about us. You see, Jesus was birthed into the lineage of sinners so that he could redeem them and us as well. And it is by the blood of Jesus Christ, through the birth of Jesus Christ, that we are not under the law of sin anymore, but under the grace of Christ himself. Romans chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Though since the law comes, knowledge of sin comes. Those who don't know Jesus are judged by their own actions and will be held accountable to a law that they cannot keep. Alistair Begg says this, one of my favorite quotes, says, For the Ten Commandments are not, as some might oppose, a ladder we climb to find acceptance with God, but rather the Ten Commandments, they are a mirror that exposes our sin and directs our gaze to Christ, our Savior. We cannot do it. And this is why God clothed himself in flesh. 
This is why God came as an infant to earth, to fulfill the law that we could not fulfill. To fulfill the law so that we might receive grace. Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He came to do what we could not do. Jesus came as an infant to live a full life in perfect obedience to the law. See, he couldn't have just come down as a full-grown man, fully in flesh, and then just said, okay, here I am, crucify me, and then I'll resurrect and go back to heaven and y'all are good. You see, he had to prove his innocence. He had to prove his worthiness as a perfect sacrifice. He had to come. He had to live a life completely submitted to the law of God. This is why he came as a baby. This is why it's significant that he did this. So that he could fulfill the law of sacrifice. So that he could sacrifice himself for you and I. John chapter 1 verse 16 through 17 says, For from his fullness we have received grace. Grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Christ. It is through his fullness. So in other words, the fullness of his life, the fullness of his obedience, the fullness of his servitude, the fullness of his sacrifice that we received grace. We live under the law or we receive the grace of Christ. There's no in between. We live under the law and are condemned by our own sin, or we receive the gift of Christ, which is grace, and receive eternity that we did not deserve. Christmas, of course, is the time where we remember the birth of Christ. But it's more important to remember that that baby, he is our Savior. He is Elohim. He is God in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You see, the birth of Jesus Christ is not his beginning but it is the beginning of his time on earth. It is the beginning of what we know as the Gospels, of his rescue mission for mankind. He came to save mankind from themselves, from our own devices. John chapter 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let us remember that Jesus came as a baby, not so that he could live, not because he was up in heaven and was like, man, earth looks like fun. I'm going to go visit. It wasn't a vacation. If it was, he probably would have landed somewhere closer to Hawaii. 
Jamaica, not in the middle of a desert, in a podunk town of Bethlehem. He didn't come to visit. He didn't come to hang out. He didn't come to show off. He came to save, to give us life, so that we could live through him. John chapter 1, verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He was born so that we also could be born again and become children of God. You see, Christmas isn't the beginning of Jesus, but Christmas marks the beginning of new life for those who put their faith in Him. Christmas marks the opportunity, not for the origin of Jesus, but for the origin of your salvation as an individual, that through His life, you can experience new life. So that on Christmas Day, we celebrate the birth of Christ, but also the birth of our true life through Him. The opportunity to become children of God. To be melded into His lineage as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Our birth into His kingdom. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.